0: Please don't dominate
1: the rap track if you got nothing new to say. If you please hold back up the chat. this dream's starting to run today. I spent a little time on the mountain Spent a little time on the hill I right on the see better run away On the sea, better stand still I don't know, but I've been told It's hard to run with the way you go I've ever heard just as
0: hard with the
1: weight of it. Ooh, you can be nice, you can be nice. It's not just a chance, it's not. One step done and a dirty girl, and i wonder how a thousand. I spend a little time on the mountain, spend a little time on the hill. Things went down, you don't understand, but I think. Time will. Now, I don't know, but I was told in the heat of the sun, a man died of cold. Keep on coming on, stand and wait with the sun so dark and the hour so late. You can't overlook the blackjack of any other habit. It's got no signs of dividing lines and very few rules to guide. I spent a little time on the mountain. I spent a little time on the hill. I saw fears getting out of thin. I guess they always will. Now I don't know, but I've been told if the horse don't pull, you got to carry the load. Don't oh, know whose back's that strong. Maybe find out people not. One way of another One way of another One way or another It's got to One way or another One way or another One way or another we started, we got to it Star Got one way or another. One way or another. One way or another. This darkness got
0: you. Ooh.
2: Well, hello, friends, brothers and sisters, children of God. Welcome back to Jack the Bridge. Well, it is a humid, steamy morning right here on top of this hill. Even the birds are reluctant to awaken. Mosquitoes are buzzing in my ear. And I think I just heard a bird. The crickets don't quite want to give up the night. The stillness in the air is just beautiful. As we wait for the sun to come up and break through some of the clouds that are overhead but you can see it's going to break through there is some ominous darkness off there up there northwest as i look around and prepare for my day i feel so blessed today for so many reasons These mosquitoes are swarming my head. I'm going to go inside. We'll take a walk in. Come on. Go back in and go past the old rocking chair. Oh, it's a little cooler in here. So, one of the things and reasons that I really have been holding out. In putting together, compiling another podcast is, well, there have been so many events that have been occurring that that are, that are a challenge not to completely, especially when they involve locations and um, incidents or f- feelings, scenarios that strike a resonance. These things are, we're, we're programmed to take these events and scenarios very personally, especially if we've actually witnessed or been to such places, as opposed to just watched or, or spectated. Um, and so many people in life for one reason or another are are spectators, and that's really what the virtual world is about. And that seems where certain forces wanna want to guide humanity, to sit to sit and watch, uh, to sit and wait and wait to uh, to to absorb media. It's all a bunch of crap. Okay? And you know that. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. We're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> I beg to differ. <clears throat> um, just one, one neat thing. One very interesting thing in the time-space continuum that, that, that I've been living is uh, just outside of where I live here, outside of my dwelling. There, There's a very, very, there are several old trees all over this property, and I'm talking sycamores, cedars, tremendous red oaks, arboretum-grade stuff. Of course, it hasn't really been maintained so well. Because it would take an arborist to handle some of these beautiful um, specimens and and make them and improve them or help them to survive. Anyway, there there's this tremendous red oak tree outside the house, outside the cabin here, and by by tremendous I mean nearly nine feet in diameter at its base. And it looks almost like two trees, but it just splits about nine feet up. And literally looks a little like a brontosaurus. And what I discovered when I was just living here, which uh, I began living here about almost two and a half years ago. uh, When it started to get hot, I took a look up into that tree which I had noticed from the when you walk around the back side of the tree it's hollow you could literally two adults can literally step inside this tree and and you'd have clearance around you it wouldn't be touching you because it was rotted inside, but externally the tree had this phenomenal exoskeleton um, and I'll describe it a little more later but Timing and so many different issues come into what I'm going to explain to you. Um, So I just put a couple burgers on the grill. It was a little before, around 7 o'clock Wednesday night. and And that was on one corner of the house. And I walked through the house and went out through a screened-in porch. I walked right past and under that tree. And just so you know, some days I had this little homemade golf green, 50, 60 yards out there, from where, just under the base of this tree, where I often, I don't hit six or eight balls almost every evening in the summertime and it just helps me to uh, unwind for the day. Well, I decided instead to, to walk, after I put the burgers on, to walk over to my, my garden, the, the garden that I have that's fenced, and it's not very big. It's only about 10 by 15, and I have sunflowers around the perimeter of it. And in the middle of it, my main batch, my main crop that I've focused on, because I'm not—I've—I've I, I've been learning to garden the last few years. But anyway, I'm—I'm it, it, I'm all about the cucumbers, and I have these pickle bushes growing. So I went to harvest a bunch of my pickles, and I heard this kind of <laughs> little bit of a crunching noise. And then, and I looked up, and one half of this tree had fallen, and and when I say big, I mean I can send send some of the bro, uh, sister, you know, maybe I could send Punky or, or Mary a, a picture that maybe they could post on Telegram. Uh, th- th- This tree fell right in line with where I would have been walking if I hit a couple golf balls and walked over there. But instead, I decided to just go into my garden. And it happened. It must have been three seconds from the time I heard any noise at all till the whole thing was on the ground. It wasn't a slow fall like we often see or hear happen, where you hear that crackling. It's like, oh, this is this imminent sound that you know it's coming. Anyway, with this, it was so rapid; I, it was, it was amazing. And there was something about it. it; it didn't really elevate my pulse, I should say. It didn't get me that wound up. I just said, "Wow," and I just looked around and realized it had, yes, it had landed, pulled on the power lines. Some genius years ago had used this big tree for ballast that evidently and cabled right through it, near the base of it. So this didn't really, uh, this exacerbated its condition, obviously. And that would probably have been done by my estimation 30, 40, maybe 50 years ago, the first time they really violated this tree that way. But it, but it's uh, I'm telling you, this tree is ancient. And, and I, I believe it's older than, than our, than our country, than the United States. It definitely is. And, um, and one really neat thing is, yes, they, this was called, this area was called Fredericksburg before this was the, before this was the United States and General George Washington. I believe in 1775, there's a, you know, one of those historic signs on the road just, just down below on the bottom of the hill here. Out on out on the the state road, and George Washington and and his troops uh, were encamped here for several months uh, during the Revolutionary War during the, that campaign. In any event, uh, what's neat to think about is that some of this was happening here because I, I, we have quite a vista um, in this in this neat little spot. Um, so. Half of this giant tree falls, puts pressure on the power line. I go inside the cabin. The power is still on. Thank, thank you, God. And I wasn't standing underneath it. And um, and I decided not to get many people involved. It's not like I've got neighbors. It's not like anyone else needs to get here. Um, as and as long as the, the I I saw there were there weren't sparks or anything like that happening. And, uh, and, and I let, I let, uh, the tree company know following morning and it was raining. So they scheduled, they, they were going to come yesterday morning. Okay. So that was Wednesday evening. Then a whole day went by and I woke up Friday morning as I usually do early. And let me tell you something. I was having my coffee. I was probably an hour and a half into my day. It was about seven ten. In fact, it was thirty six hours. I mean, within a minute and a half, uh, if if that. And I, it was raining, so it seemed that that tree company probably wouldn't be coming in the event uh, that it continued to rain like this. Let me tell you something. I heard the loudest, what I thought was about the loudest thunderclap I had ever heard. And, uh, the other half of the tree dropped, it dropped and it hit this hoop tent that there's this band that there's this big, uh, mower in and barely hit that mower it has a roll bar on it, but the hoop tent got pretty violated. But that doesn't hurt my feelings that badly. Um, and and the tree hit the roof of this cabin and glanced it. I I looked out, and I usually look out. And I can see. Out into some woods and fields through this one very nice big window, and with the window was completely pressed up with branches and leaves. I could barely see light through it, and uh, but it, but nothing cracked, you know. And there were a couple scratches from where the branches had hit the house. I I, I ended up. I ended up grabbing the chainsaw and working, I don't know, 7 or 8 hours on this yesterday just to get it trimmed out because it's going to take something bigger than me by myself um you know to to really take care of this this tree because the the larger limbs on it, you know what I mean is that the first part of it fell and there was still a whole tree there, the mass of the other half of this tree was a tree unto itself. Um, But it it didn't, it didn't hit anything vital. And for that, I'm extremely thankful. And it was another one of those incidents. I could have been outside right there. And uh, I'm just very thankful to, to God, obviously, because, it, you know, that he's beyond what any hand can see or eye can measure. And when people pretend to scoff or people minimize the importance of God on the pretense of scientific understanding, well, what came first? Silly. Well... God made everything. So how can you even conceive of him or classify who who he is? It's it's actually a privilege just to 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 be in the know to have the feeling that we that we are that we have the spirit and that it carries and that and that, that light is something that we at times exude and that we have the ability to not only make people feel a little better, not only to cheer people up, but to help people heal in many, many ways. So... Taking this a step further. I bring myself 29 years back in my life to Maui, to Lahaina. And the time that I spent in Lahaina, where I learned to surf, I had grown up by the water on the East coast, grown up on Long Island. Excuse me. And I had, um, I had the privilege of having, you know, a big brother and dad who liked to swim. My mom did too, but my father really loved the ocean. So we used to go to the ocean early in the mornings. Not, not every day of the summer, but when we could, and when we would take vacations, it would be on the beach. Um, whether it was usually at a bay that we would take vacations. My father knew we were too wild to just take on the ocean and on it because we weren't always supervised. You know how kids were back then. Um, this, and and I'm talking the early seventies. I was born in 67. Anyway, I learned to body surf very well. I could read a wave. I could feel a wave. God, do I know how many times did I scrape my chest, my belly, my face, my nose, you know, on, on shells and sand because I could ride that wave so shallow and, and, and to feel that force that is. Well, the Fibonaccius, fiba, Fibonacci. Well, that guy just put his name on God's, God's design, rhythm, art. That that Fibonacci design that we see in the sunflower, in the base of a pine cone, especially a, a broader pine cone, that we see in a, a cochlea, that we see in a chrysalis, that we see, that we see in the ocean and the wave and to be, and to be, to feel yourself becoming part of that is there's, I, I don't know that there's anything else in the world like that, uh, other than powder skiing when you learn to do that and and for people who snowboard, um, because there's, there's a sense of grad, there's this gravity, but there's this resistance, with the ocean, what's so amazing with the ocean and that you you're you're picking up this natural flow, this cosmic, this rhythmic flow. You know, when I was a little kid, I think my mom used to tell me that butterfly, yeah, you know, but that butterflies wings are their 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 impact events or happenings all the way on the other side of the world. That that there is a uh A rhythm, of course there's a rhythm, and there's a meaning, there's a time, there's a purpose, right? There's a time and a season, yada, 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 every purpose under heaven to everything, right? Ecclesiastes, so well plagiarized. I mean, and let's just, you know, almost everything... Almost everything that we read and see everything is all, is a plagiarization of the bible when you when you sit and randomly take a look at the bible so getting back to the water and getting back to the ocean i uh i I started to go to surf and in, in uh or attempt to surf on a board I had gotten from, uh, from a kid who was maybe 20 years old, and the board had a couple holes in it. I even went to the hardware store. I got a little epoxy and patched it, and I learned about Mr. Zog's sex wax. It's called that you wax your board with. So your body kind of holds onto the surfboard a little bit better. Um, surfing technique. You've really got to, I I wouldn't be able to learn to surf the way that I was able to at this point, even though I'm pretty healthy for my age, because it requires you to arch your back, lift your neck as much as you can, especially, well, I can arch my back and lift my neck. But what I mean is you really have to lift up your neck and head and then paddle. And really have the ability to paddle and anticipate and do what's called a duck dive when the waves are breaking right over your head and dragging you right back to shore. I had one event, which I, the summer solstice, my birthday. Uh, I was, I was on this wave, and it was the, these. It was. It was, there were the biggest, it was the biggest day I ever surfed and I had been surfing for about a month and a half at this point. And this guy had taken me under his wing and he was originally from Florida and he was this really ripped. Very nice, easygoing guy, a long blonde hair. His name was Armadillo. That's all I know. And, you know, this guy actually called me on Christmas for four or five years. He had my mom's home number that I had left with him. And, um, you know, he had a wife and he, and, and I think he had a kid by the last time I'd spoken with him. And, and unfortunately, um and the communication isn't what it was. I wasn't, I, I wasn't really, I didn't get on Facebook or any of that crap until, oh God, I think 2015, to be honest, um, for it's with any kind of regularity. And thank God I quit that a couple of years ago because it's all bullshit. Um, and, but it's funny, you know, uh, that the way that people really allow their lives to revolve around it and 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 just put all their their information and pictures out there, and yes, you know it's a finally it's apparent right what's happening this this uh these stories about a i or whatever well you know, it's it's uh uh the the fact that people have time to screw around with everyone else it it uh, it's just such evidence of of narcissism the the and and um really gang narcissism is what we're dealing with you know and narcissists project and they they really dislike themselves in the first place so they turn on you especially if you're empathic Or if you're someone who is really, if you're a person who awakens, attempting to make the world better, they don't like that. They detest love, especially outwardly shown love. Um, Narcissists, I believe, for the most part, detest a broader understanding of love of agape love as, as we hear talked about fairly at least once a week, probably. And, um, yeah, that's a word that's been in my, in my vocabulary for a really long time, actually, since I was a kid. Um, but anyway, getting back to the water, the bridge to the water. Well, Armadillo said to me, I I caught, I began to get up and over the top of the crest of this wave. It had an 18 foot face. I'm not kidding you. And Armadillo, and of course, see this, this, the board, he had lent me because I was not buoyant enough to really move as quickly as I had to with the, with, um, I'm not a big guy, but I'm very dense. And, um, and, uh, Fairly pretty athletic. Um, so so uh, he had this, this bigger board. You know, it was like a nine-foot board instead of this, like, barely six-and-a-half-foot board I was learning on. Um, and uh, I'll never forget this. He said to me, yelled over my shoulders. I was paddling to catch this wave because he knew I caught it at the wrong time. And he said, John, you're going to get slammed. Let me tell you, that board got out from under me and caught the face of the wave, and I was off behind it. It went down underneath me. I flew over the crest of that wave and hit the board in the fetal position, attached to it only by that strap on my left ankle. My back hit that board, and it broke in half. I mean, in half. I mean, two pieces. So I hung on to what I could. And he pulled up, he he paddled up next to me and he helped me. We got in there, you know, and, um, and he, 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 he was fine about it. And he continued to, to lend me boards and help me, uh, surf better. <laughs> what I also remember and, um, not just about the kindness of this guy, and and some of the 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 the, the was was about respect. It was about what he told me about how he had respect because he saw how hard he had seen me out there for four or five days working my ass off, barely getting up on these waves, taking a beating, getting like gill dragged. I mean literally you, these these ways would pull would knock you down and that board you would be underwater and literally praying talk about a foxhole prayer and you would just say god just you know i'm going to keep this air in my lungs and just help me surface again i know you're going to let me i know you will and, and i know you're not going to let my head bang into the coral today although i did end up getting a hell of a staph infection through uh through an, through through one of my toes, I ended up getting a toe uh, I had an ingrown toenail thing going on, and you swim in that 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 pacific and i they say that everyone in Hawaii who lives there has staph in their blood, but they there's a um a balance somehow to that bacteria I guess just the same kind of balance people get in their flora when they take probiotics kind of thing. Anyway, I got this staph infection and it was mind blowing because every little nick, and you know every little nick, if you shave, if you have a little cut on your finger, any everything turns white with your white blood cells, turns to pus. And you can it's it was very easy to understand as I started uh, to, to how people die of staph infections in the first place because your body reacts so quickly. And I gotta say, when I sat back and watched the beginning of COVID con and the Fauci flu coming through, and I started to digest what the I understood the symptoms were and the fact that they there was this whole coagulation thing i thought wow is is this really like a bacterial infection thing is this really staph that's one of the first things that occurred to me is it not really viral um anyway whatever that that's neither here nor there as they say because we all know that it, it was bullshit. And most of us conspiracy therapists can help people with that. Because we know that a conspiracy actually is a crime. You see, a conspiracy is a crime. When you have... people or organizations working together to pursue a common goal, often to the detriment of one group or the whole or the general public of society. Well, that's called a conspiracy. Um, a conspiracy theory yes the idea that that crime exists do conspiracies exist yes and you and one can be charged for involvement in a conspiracy bottom line the term conspiracy theory as we know is a bunch of crap made to dishearten people who question the narrative. Simple as that. So, Hawaii. Among the other friends I made in Hawaii was Lorraine Rowe. And I remember sitting with Lorraine, and we were there were only five or six of us friends. One was Mike Audi, one was Johnny Burl. We used to call him Fester, we'll just call him Johnny Fester. Uh, and there was Donnie Good Guy, he was Donnie Glandon, but we called him Donnie Good Guy. Um, there were three or four other people there, and we were having dinner together. We were, we had, we had a three or four. oh it was Logan and Jen also who had been from Utah and Mike and Lorraine they were actually from England John John uh Fester he was from California Donnie Goodguy was from Modesto as far as I remember I was from New York oh yeah and then there was a guy named Johnny Merton he was actually from Long Island too and um his his claim to fame this is hilarious Okay, because I knew him and he was a cousin of some friend of mine on Long Island, yada, yada, yada. His dad invented Mickey Mouse ears. I am not bullshitting you. So anyway, we you had a bunch of wandering not wandering, but travelers, some of whom had focus. Mike was, he actually worked with cars. Um, but it, it, it and then Jen and, and Logan, they were involved in, in working in, in like retail shops. My story of getting there is a funny one, which I'll get to. And me, everywhere I've ever lived, I've worked, uh, Uh, I've, I've much to the chagrin of my, my father, I would tell him how I was planning to go to England on a work visa and I'd get myself a work visa and, um, went over there through the council on international educational exchange through the British university's nice North America club in 1989 when I graduated, which was a really neat time to be living. And I lived in London, actually, I went over there and worked. And um I, I actually uh I sold I sold art in the outskirts of London and for a month or two or a month and a half. And then I got it I took a job with um actually a young family of Iranians and uh selling selling cell phones in a brand new but saturated cell phone market. And I actually did really pretty well with that. And, and There are long, there's a long story attached to that, but to make a long story short with that one, I got to London with $600 in my pocket, came back with a bit more than that. I was over there for about eight months um, and got to travel Europe a little. I worked for about six, seven of those months and then. Went all over, was, was in Holland for a while. I had friends through school, so I was able to reconnect with people in Holland, people in the south coast of Spain, Malaga, Fuancarola, Mijas, um, and also Mossland, you know, in Holland and Rotterdam. Um, back to Hawaii. So Lorraine Rowe, the young English woman, said to me, you know, and she was, she was kind of a, it was neat. You know, I had lived in England about five, five years earlier, and, and she had this uh, very urban sounding accent. And she'd say, yes, yes, please. And, and, and anyway, L- Lorraine said to me, she said, you know, John, and she'd say, there, they say that if there are 20 people in a room anywhere in the world, they randomly are together, that at least three of them will have the same birthday. And I remember looking at her and questioning and, and saying, you know, that's just preposterous. I don't know. And 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 here's the thing, there's no way that she knew when my birthday was. And I said, Well and and I was calling bullshit on her and I said, When's her birthday, Lorraine? She said, Well it's June twenty first. I said, Wow. That's my birthday. Huh. And, and, and it helped me to, it, it really was a, a moment that helped me to realize that you can have some faith in things that people randomly say. Just as much faith as you can have in anything that any doctor tells you, that's for certain. I'll be right back. You know, over many years, many famous people, including Mark Twain and Charles Lindbergh, um, lived in Maui, loved Maui. And I believe Mark Twain, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said that on Maui was the most beautiful view afforded on God's earth or in this world. And perhaps one of the most beautiful images in my head, which I wish I could. I'm sure that someone has filmed this and gotten a picture of this. Uh, there has to be somewhere an image of it. But it, when, you, when you surf at, at Lahaina and you surf the Lahaina break wall, you're facing east and you're facing in towards you know a pretty, pretty steep incline as you look in towards the the the, the mountain face or mat- well, really the, the 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 rising hills behind Lahaina. So when you go out to surf fairly early in the morning, just before the sun comes up, the image. That's in front of you when you have made it, when you've, when you've gone through the, the surf and it's a little work to get out there on a day that's not so calm and you've duck- dived and you've made it and you've paddled your ass off out there and now you're out there and you're sitting up, sitting up on your board and you look In towards the shore, you're constantly looking back over your head, making sure you've got the rhythm of the waves right and, and looking for that set wave. If you've got, if that's the one you're going to catch, and as long as no one's right in front of you who is better than you, because you have to have respect, you don't want to cut them off. And they won't cut you off if they think you got it, or if if they want if if they're okay if if everything's cool, which it pretty much is. Even though I was a howley, you know, I'm kind of a dirty blonde, curly haired, white kid with blue eyes, so I definitely couldn't qualify for a native in Hawaii. Or many, many locations. Um, back to the view. So imagine here you are, you've just caught your breath, you've made it out there, and here comes this wave, and then you look in front of you, and you're looking through the back of this wave. You're looking through the back of it and you're prone on your surfboard, looking in eastward towards the shore. And the sun has just crested over the top of the hills above Lahaina. And that sun comes... Through the translucent wave right in front of your face and you see this panoramic view of the shore of the town of the sun, the prism of the sun's rays coming through a beautiful Clean, clear, body temperature, translucent wave. I cannot tell you if there is a more beautiful image. Other than the feeling that comes after it when you actually catch a wave and stand in it. And you feel as you push your downward force, as you push down with that forward foot and then your back foot, and you pivot a little, you get into a tube. It only happens twice for me that you're inside that Hawaii five o tube. Hey, this guy had too much fun. Book them, Dano. <laughs> Let me tell you. Perhaps the only thing or image in my mind that's more beautiful that is when my second daughter had been born, and the doctor had me sit in a little room with her, and <clears throat> and hold her in my lap, and just look at how calm and beautiful and peaceful she was and the goodness that she would bring into this world. Anyway, Maui is a beautiful place. Lahaina is an interesting town. And I first got over to Lahaina. This is a funny story. I, I had been working in Utah for the winters, and I think it was my second, no, my first winter in Utah. I met a man named Bill Wyland. Now, Bill was was an athlete, but he didn't prospect like a like a well to do. Typical Utah, California, jet-setting skier. So he came into the shop I worked in at the base of the hill in Park City, Utah. And he had jeans on. He had jeans on and a red, kind of older, like a vintage, like a puff jacket, like the old down jackets, you know, from the 80s. And this is like, 1990, I don't know, five? No, pardon me, 1992 or three? I guess 92, 92 into three. Anyway, I, I sold Bill, he had some old boots, and I sold him some orthotics because he said that he had pain, and I assessed what was going on with him. And... I sent him out and this guy went out and it was a beautiful powder day. Bluebird, as they say, blue skies, beautiful, fluffy champagne powder, as they call it, which means it's very dry, very dry. It just very low humidity because it's traveled over the Nevada desert and the Sierra Nevadas. And that's really, I guess, the reason. That's that's the 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 formula that God's put together for that Utah Champagne Powder. Anyway, Bill came in, and he had these big paws on him. You know, he's a little. He wasn't a big man. Maybe five six. I'm not a big guy, but I was taller than him. He was maybe five seven, and he came in with his big hand, and he was he and he's kind of like uh. Yosemite Sam kind of built looking dude with a big handlebarish looking mustache, and he came in and he started to high five me the second that he came through the door of the shop. And I just hung. and he was like, "Hey, brother!" And he came in, he walked all the way up to me. That high five, I just held my hand up, and <laughs> our hands met. And then he said that that was the most wonderful day if he ever had ski that he had ever had skiing, and he thanked me for the comfort. And the fact that I was able to help assess and maybe help him with his alignment and all these fun things, and then he said, "You know, you you seem like you're pretty good at this." He goes, "He goes, you ever sell anything else?" I said, "Well, I'm a you know I'm a carpenter. I build stuff in the summertime, uh, Bill. I, I I've been doing that for a long time. I've been at college. You know, I did I did sell what I did sell art." Though funny enough I sold art and I sold phones but every summer no matter what it seems like I go back to building and he said well that's funny you mentioned art he goes I own 13 art galleries in Hawaii he goes you're pretty good at this he goes you can come work for me and uh, you could do that every season you could come back here and I didn't take him up on it that season, but I did the next season. And I called him up. I, he gave me his card. And um, it was the end of, nearly the end of ski season. It was probably March into April. And um, I called called him up, and he got on the phone. And I told, and I was, just, hey, hey, is it's, it's John? it's John Emerson from uh, Park City? and he said, "John, what are you <clears throat> what are you going to do this summer?" He goes, "You want to come work for me?" And I said, "Well, I'm thinking about it, Bill." "Well, great. What island do you want to work on?" And I thought, "Wow, this is a really wild opportunity." So I said, "You know, Maui." It was a it was a cliché, the maui Wowie. Um uh, yeah I had heard great things about maui i didn 't know what town was what i didn 't know anything about maui and it wasn 't like we had so much access to information as we do now. You know you could ask an eight year old and they could tell you all kinds of things that because they know how to do a search on their phones now and um Boy, I even know how to do that now, but it would have taken more of a, like a trip to the library, or you know, finding yourself some microfiche to find out some real specifics about an area. Um, anyway, I know I'm exaggerating. However, I ended up booking a flight out of uh, Sacramento, flying to Maui mid-April that year. And I stayed until uh, mid-October. Interesting part of that story. I had a a Ford, an F-150, three on the tree, 78 or 79 Ford truck that I left with this friend of mine who I knew from college. He was Sri Lankan. And he was a good. He was a good friend. His name was Farahath Bari, and Farahath's no longer in this world. But um, and and we had been we had been become good friends. And Farahath had a um, a used. Well, he and his uncle Richard owned a uh, pawn shop slash used car dealership in Sacramento. And Farahath was a devout Islamist. Or Muslim, and um, so be, being an open-minded and knowing we're all from we're all in God's world, right? Of course, this is well before this whole nine eleven insanity. Hmm. And um, and you know, and Farhad knew I was. We were we went to a Presbyterian school together. For goodness sakes, and we had. Both graduated from there a few years earlier. I'm not sure he graduated, but anyway, we had stayed in touch. So I had this really brilliant idea that I would trust that, that I would just leave the truck with Farahat. He could park it at the dealership, you know, and um, they had pl- they had plenty of space there, and and uh, I could come back. I'd stay in Hawaii for. However many months, and then I would come back, get my truck, which had some tools in it. I mean, not a ton, but it it had a several hand tools. It had some books. It had a few of my possessions in it that were really what I had—the the, the things that I had that I traveled with, and 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 that I could easily just pick up and go to work with any minute. Um. So when I when I left, after having been uh, an employee of Bill Weiland, Weiland Galleries, Hawaii, uh, having worked there for six months, and it was a commission job, a tiny salary but commissions, and it was neat. And I have several stories about that, but they're not quite that exciting. And honestly – If I were to do it all over again and go to Maui, I just would have grabbed my hand tools and just gone over there and and gotten a job working with my hands. Within the last week of my time there, I met someone, a really neat guy who was into making cabinets, and he was out on the way up to the up country, and I met him with a Uh, a woman, a close friend, Diane, and we were, we had taken a trip around that side of the island. And, um, and I realized, wow, you know, this guy has, has it going on and he's got a a self-sufficient career and, and, um, he's got a demand and a, a customer base and he's got a good life. And, you know, I, 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 I became very jaded having worked in what was neat about working in uh, the tourism world or in the sports trade, per se, in, in Utah and other places was that you were working with people and really helping them to improve the quality of what they were doing. Um, when you're selling people whale art, yeah, you might help the, the quality of their house or, you know, if they if they have the kind of money that they're going to invest in a some kind of dolphin trilogy bronze sculpture that's they're going to put in their foyer, well, God bless them. And so I did sell a couple of originals of not only Weiland and other people, but, you know, and lithographs and signed and numbered pieces and all of these things that I learned about bronze sculptures to original oils. Um, so it did help me to get more well-versed. I had been in fine arts minor, English minor. I think I was actually one course short of a fine arts minor. Pardon me. And then a business and economics major. Yeah, so I'm another, uh, business economics major for Trump. So I hope that doesn't hurt any feelings. <laughs> anyway, boy, what a mugshot. You gotta love that. And, uh, he, he's, he's the guy that's supposed to, to, to take this job. And, and I really hope that it, that, that things happen in a way that isn't so damn violent. So getting back to Farahath. Well, I got back from, I flew back when I did leave Hawaii and I flew back to Sacramento and um, my friend Farahath, he was nowhere to be seen and I couldn't get through to him. And uh, so it, it, I, I picked up and I took a flight to New York and I, I worked, I actually redid a dining room for a friend and a buddy of mine, I got a buddy of mine hired out in Utah and we took his van across the country. I think that was my third drive across the United States. And, um, (laughs) We went all the way around. We went all the way down through the southern route and then up through California. And then we, we, we came through San Francisco up through to see a friend of mine there, my buddy Kevin, who I knew from New York originally. And and then we went to Sacramento to find Farahath, find my truck. Well, we went to the house that Farahoth had lived in with his uncle and his Uncle's wife and family. And Carola, this woman who, Richard's wife, came to the door. She said, Who? Oh, hello, John. There is a box with your belongings in it in the garage. We don't use that name in this house anymore. When I asked if she had seen or heard from Farah, she let me into the house, and gave me something to drink. My buddy David and I, or my buddy Lewis and I actually would traveled with me. And uh, she said, uh, and I looked at the wall, and there was this great family reunion picture, obviously a picture in Sri Lanka. And everyone's wearing white. And over far, and I mean 60, 80 people in this picture, and there's one face that is blanked out with white, like, surgical tape. And that was Farah Bari that his family had blocked him out that completely, disowned him. And and so it, he disappeared, but not without making my truck disappear and my license disappear, or my title to my truck and my truck disappeared, never to be found again. And some of the tools in there, some of those possessions I can never get back. but. Hey, that's okay. Uh, we picked up, went to Utah. I ended up pulling it together, working hard, and 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 finding a balance again. But it was a struggle. Um, and I ended up speaking with Farah years later. He called me. He ended up getting my number, and he called me, and he apologized and all that. One weird thing about that whole. Relation that friendship Um, and and, and I forgave him as we do you know I had now that I had I had one daughter at that time it was before my second one was born and I had things were happening and I was busy and working and had my business going and and, um, somewhat well stably married (laughs) at that point and, uh, now I, I hear that he's died, Farahat. He died maybe five years ago and he had a problem with drugs that it, he was very, he had hidden very well, drugs and alcohol. And he proclaims such, he claimed to have such faith that to, he even brought me to a mosque with him and I would go in there dutifully as a good friend. And, and, and I remember just the looks and this, like I, like I said before, it was before nine eleven. But I remember just feeling this kind of seething sense. Although, who am I? I don't know that I was, I wasn't probably the only Caucasian and all the people who went to this mosque. And I believe I went two times with him in this whole thing where you'd bow down. I mean, there's something very kind of nice and therapeutic about the, that you're on the, that you're on the ground and you're on these carpets and all that. And when you bow, there's almost something very yoga-like about the way you bow down um, when you're praying, and, but what was really weird to me, and, and disturbing, it, well, and, and I let it go, like, we let all things go, <clears throat> and I said, Farah, what qualifies me, I mean, to you look at me, I'm probably Christian by it, just, you know, if you're to judge this book by what cover it has, and he said, John, that's, he goes, the The main thing is that they know that you're circumcised. And I, I thought to myself, w- what the hell does that have to do? But then I realized, yes, that that is, that is, that has to do with cleanliness. It's just like, uh, I guess they wouldn't want you bringing a BLT in there for, for, you know, a- after, uh, after worship, uh you know, refreshments. And BLT, some coffee, you know. How about some of those little Jimmy Dean sausages? Throw some of them at me, would you please? Anyway, um, I guess for the meantime, I'm done with this ramble. The sun's not coming up right now. It, it, it would be up, but it's a little foggy out. But I, what I... What I wanted to do by taking your time was to catch up with you and to let you know I'm going to, I'll be starting to, I'm going to peruse my readings, my available materials in front of me and I'll continue with episodes of Jack the Bridge. And I'd like to just finish, if you'll bow your head with me, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you find yourself doing today, wherever you are, know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. Have an awesome day. God speed.
0: You'll yeah, 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 yeah. take a challenge, you'll know the moment I knew I We're going out of the country. we we'll down to the real soul. I'm with the real soul people. Talking about the real soul people. I'm going out of the country Just down to the real soul We're getting out to the west coast Shining our lives down to the days of blowing wonder Go water, river, and look much more the ever nothing night not, not good Was not getting right. Blake and the Eternals standing with the scissors of mercy, looking for the beaten fleece. William Blake and the Eternals stand. This was open mercy, looking for the beaten places. Don't put the reel. Don't pull no punches. And don't put the reel. You don't cross the with me You don't hold no parts But you don't cross the with me There's no mercy But you, you don't push the river, no.